works together and in which we uh, have our hope set in the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. So towards that end, uh, as churches do around the world every single week, we remember our crucified and risen Lord in our communion service, but especially so, we take a chance while the world is paying attention to him a little bit in this week and next week to, to really make sure we're talking about Jesus, his lordship, his resurrection, his crucifixion on our behalf. And so next week we'll begin a new series called Empty, a course about the empty tomb, but also about the empty threats and promises of the enemy and the world and how Christ has given us a greater and deeper purpose. And so we'll do that together in the next few weeks. And it's exciting this time of year. We have that special um, time tonight from 5 to 7 for the LTC showcase to be together, an extra time. And we have a few other opportunities to be together, an extra time. Next Friday at 7 p.m., we'll have a Good Friday service together, a chance to spend some time in devotion, songs and scriptures about the cross. And Sunday morning, for those of you who like uh, to get a little extra early, up and worship the risen Savior. We'll have a sunrise service at 6.15 a.m. at Orchards Park. That'll only last about 30 minutes. It is a standing room only service in that we're out in the middle of a park, so you need to be able to stand or bring a chair. Bring a camp chair if you'd like for yourself, if you want to sit. But it's not a very long service. It is a communion service where we'll sing a few hymns and read some scriptures about Jesus' resurrection to get the morning started right. Of course, our regular services and classes uh, will be happening next week, and they'll be a very full, so that's an exciting time. Why don't we turn our attention, though, to today's scripture from 1 Peter 4. If you would allow me to, I'll say a word of prayer, and then we'll begin looking at today's scripture together. Would you bow with me? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for sending Jesus to earth. Uh, we thank you for what he did at that last supper, the night that he sat and washed his disciples' feet, and that he told them through the actions of leaving his place at the table and getting down on the floor to wash their feet and then rising up again to his place at the table. Uh, he showed them in his body, in his actions, kinetically, about his incarnation, about his suffering to clean us from the filth of our sin and about his resurrection and ascension back to his place. Now he's seated at your right hand and he has all authority uh, subject to him. And so we know that he's a trustworthy Lord and master as well as a trustworthy friend because he's done what all of us would love to do. He's beat death. And so his hope is greater than anything that the human race had ever known because he alone has uh, the power to defeat death. And God, our hope is in him. Our hope is in his resurrection. It is a hope that can face anything because of Jesus Christ. And in him we put our trust. In the name of the Lord Jesus we pray, and all who agree say, Amen. Amen. So again, the last couple of weeks we've been looking at 1 Peter. And, and just again, let me read these verses from chapter 3. Uh, a couple minutes from now we'll read some verses from chapter 4 that Justin just read for us. 1 Peter 3, Peter knows that Christians will endure some suffering, and so he says, if you should suffer... For doing what's right, you're blessed. Don't fear the threats of those who would persecute you. Uh, do not be frightened. But the antidote is, in your heart, revere Christ as Lord. Jesus, resurrected Lord of the cosmos. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So, Christians, and we also know this from our theme verse this year, Romans 15, 13, 
Christians ought to be overflowing with hope. But it's not a hope that we manufacture. It's not a cheap and thin optimism. It isn't a general sunny disposition. It is a deep and abiding hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's founded on the work of Jesus, his person and his work, the gospel. And we looked at that the second week. To give a reason for the hope that we have within us, well, let's think about a few reasons that the world needs to hear about our hope. If you look at any meaningful research about the state of hope or even optimism and sunniness, the thinner versions, in our Western world right now, the polls and the philosophers, the journalists will all tell you that hope is failing in the world. Suicide rates are higher than they've ever been before. There's a general sense of hopelessness in literature and in movies and in television. Just think about what this one literary critic said. That today's authors are flummoxed by joy. Flummoxed by joy. Meaning that people writing books today can't seem to get their minds around how to write anything with hope. They can't seem to get their minds around or their hearts around how to write literature, uh, except for we have a lot of suspicious literature about the fullness of life, suspicious of the fullness of life. Uh, here's a few examples just from television and film even. All of the apocalyptic and zombie and dystopian movies, right? You know, just people's general imagination seems to be inclined towards the world is going to eat itself, uh, even in shows that have been wildly popular in recent years. Maybe not so much uh, um, for, for you and for this audience, but just popular in general in our society. Breaking Bad, House of Cards, Mad Men. They're full of anti-heroes. Not your typical old-fashioned do-good heroes, but people who seem to somehow lead through darkness and brokenness and maybe even criminal elements. U.S. and European polls alike show a declining confidence in the future, uh, and some research has even said this is the first American generation, uh, right now this younger generation, the first American generation who in the polls actually believes that they will have a worse world than their parents had. Most Americans for generation and generation have believed their life will be better than their parents was because they believed in progress and technology and in people in general and our ability. So if the world's optimism is failing so much, how can we share with the world a hope that can face anything, the hope that we have? Uh, here's two thought experiments for us, and then we'll look at 1 Peter 4 together. Okay, two thought experiments. The first one has to do with where, where do people find a root or a base for their hope? Okay, where do people find a resource for hope? And the thought experiment goes like this. Imagine two women working in the same job for a year, it's a grinding job. Long days, long nights, and it's uh, relatively low pay. The one woman is making well less than $30,000 a year. She's got to support her whole family on that. And it takes up all of her time. Tedious work, not fulfilling work. What she doesn't know is that the other woman has been promised that at the end of the year, she'll be given $30 million. Two women side by side. One making $30,000, one making 30 million. And the one woman looks at the other and she says, how, how can we continue in this job? It's backbreaking, it's hard, there's no future in it, no hope in it. Right? And the other woman says, well, I don't feel that way at all. 
right? I feel like it's worth it this year of backbreaking labor and suffering. Why? Because the root of hope is future-oriented. Will it be worth it in the end? Is there, in other words, a payoff? Okay? That thought experiment just shows us hope is future-oriented, not past-oriented and not present-oriented. Here's a second one for us, a second thought experiment. Philosophically, in our world right now, there is this belief or this call that progress can be the foundation for our optimism. Humanity will get better and better. We'll make more money. We'll create better tech. But according to philosophers right now, uh, these things are all failing Americans on every level. Philosophically, progress is failing Americans. Philosophically, it's failing them. The reason? Because to call something progressive has become a value statement. So to ever look back at the good old times is regressive, negative value statement. Progress has to be future-oriented. And economic progress has been threatened by impending environmental disaster. A lot of people say that we can't continue to manufacture for the next hundred years the way we have for the last hundred years because the environment won't sustain it. Nightmare scenarios, like we've already seen in literature and movies, fill the airwaves and the news stories. Pandemics, global economic collapse, climate change disasters, cyber attacks, terrorism, and secular optimism in progress for these reasons is failing but it also weakens our ability as a people to face difficulties and suffering. Look at what Peter wrote, even if you should suffer, because the immediate pleasures become the whole point of human history. So here, here's the thought experiment. If you can't rely on the future because it's full of fear, you rely instead on present joys, present pleasures, pleasant moments, sacrificing the future for America now. And the thought experiment is that for many years, people looked at African-American slaves in America, and they asked the question, what sustained that people group through years of backbreaking slavery? And some philosophers used to say they believed in American progress and that eventually it would result in their freedom and it would result in them becoming equal, and so progress fueled their hope. But African-American Christians, researchers, and historians around the country have said, no, no, no. It wasn't a belief in progress or secular success. Because what slave would have honestly said to the person that came to them and said, look, we know life is tough now. We know you may never get out of this. You may never get, escape from this suffering. But just believe that the world is becoming a better place. Now go out there, put on a smile, and work hard today. It wouldn't work. It wasn't sufficient. Instead, what they sang was songs about the gospel of Jesus. What they said to each other at night were scriptures memorized about the hope of another life to come. And so researchers in this thought experiment have said, history has shown us that in times when a people group went through intense suffering, they relied on a future hope a gospel hope to get them through their suffering. So no matter what the church goes through, no matter what happens in our world in the years to come, we 
have a resource to turn to, a gospel hope of Jesus Christ. This is why Paul, writing in 1 Corinthians 15 about the resurrection, can say this. My dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Work enthusiastically for the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. In a world that is trying to plant its hope in the present, we Christians are saying, let's plant our hope in a future. But not a, not a future characterized just by people's ability to make the world better, but in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. This is the hope that can face anything. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we asked you to complete a survey, a public faith survey for the church. And we had almost 300 people complete this survey, so you all did very well. That's a pretty high rate of participation. And this graphic is the first thing that the public faith team has produced using that survey to show a scatter graph of all of the different places where the average scores fell from on the left in the red section being characterized by a low ability or low confidence to share faith and have conversations with unchurched friends. And on the right in the green section to be either high level or high ability, combination of those, to share faith and have conversations with unchurched friends. And so I want to share two things this morning that are initial insights that came from our public faith team about this survey that 300 of us took. Insight number one was this. Whenever our church were asked the question about our comfort sharing our faith, this church's average response was 4.01 out of 5. That's a pretty high level of confidence sharing our faith. So four out of five. But when this same church was asked how frequently we have conversations with non-Christian friends, the average answer was 2.6. Okay, so somewhere around 80% confidence that we can share our faith, somewhere around 42% confidence that it actually happens, that we do it on a regular basis. The first insight is this. This data shows that for our congregation, our members are comfortable sharing, just don't frequently have those opportunities. So a goal for this church, how can we go about sharing a faith that can face anything with people? How do we find the opportunities? How do we create opportunities? Because if we're going to let our light shine into the world, it can't be under a bowl. Somebody famous said that. Insight number two. When asked if a majority of relationships are with unbelievers, this church answered with an average score of 2.3, meaning uh, about 46% confidence that we have some relationships with unbelievers. Here's the kicker. This same church, same people, when asked how motivated we are to actively seek non-churched friends and unchristian friends to participate in conversation, to test their faith or share the love of Jesus, the average score was 2.2. Here's what that means. The insight is this. When we were asked how many of these friendships we've got, and it was a 2.3, and then we were asked how much we're seeking them, it was a 2.2. So the number of friendships we have is a little stronger than the strength with which we're seeking people outside the church. The insight, the takeaway is, this clearly shows a correlation that as we continue together through this year of talking about overflow of hope and public faith and how we do this in the community. We don't just need better tools. We need a heart change. 
to desire to share the hope that can face anything with the people that don't have the hope because all they're relying on is the books, the movies, the shows that we've already mentioned are insufficient, both according to Christian tradition and according to secular philosophy and secular reasoning cannot sustain hope in the world. The world is crying and breaking for a hope that can get them through. And Peter says, well, this is what you have. Peter understands a worldview in which for people the end of all things is near. He understands a world in which they talk about things like apocalypses and zombie attacks. Except for in the ancient Greco-Roman world, they thought about it as their own gods destroying a dark world. They didn't tell the stories the same way, but they had the same problem, the same lack of hope. And Peter, writing to Christians facing suffering in a world with no hope, says, you know and we all know that the end of all things is near. We all know that. And so be alert and sober minds so that you can pray. Peter says that for Christians, knowing that this is the perspective of our world, the worldview doesn't provide much hope, that should lead us into prayer. It should lead us to seek the Lord. It should see to, lead us to seek the Lord through prayer so that we can love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. It should lead us to pray so that we can offer hospitality to each other without grumbling, so without complaint because hospitality heals the wounds of distance in relationships. It should lead us to pray so that each of us could use whatever gift we've received from God to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Peter says, the very thing that launches Christian love, hospitality, and grace giving is the fact that we look into a dark world and we see that it's hopeless, so we up our game. We step up and we love harder. We show greater hospitality. We use our gifts. And Christians need to know what their gifts are so that they can use them to be dispensers of God's grace. If you don't know what your gift is, take an inventory. Ask a preacher or an elder to sit down and pray with you, what is my gift and how do I use it to unlock the storehouse of God's grace to give hope to a dying and hurting world? Some of us think that we know what our gifts are, but the scriptures never say that Christian grumbling is a gift. The scriptures never say that an insightful cutting comment is a gift. Right? And the world's already full of cynicism. So we need to find what those rich gifts of grace are. Peter will say it like this. If anyone speaks, which we all do every day, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. This is not just about preaching. Sure, it's about preaching, but it's about more than that. When we open our mouths in any setting, do you realize right now you're speaking the words of God because Christ lives in you. If anyone serves, they should do it the strength God provides. You see, a Christian is constantly looking to the inner resource of Jesus Christ and his resurrection so that our words and our actions, our love, our hospitality is transformed by Jesus. Peter says, in all things we want God to be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. And I want you to ask yourself, if this is really what your Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday feel like. Okay, this isn't a condemnation. We want to open up these scriptures for blessing. 
But is this what Monday really feels like? Because of the resource of the resurrection hope that I have, I can open up for my heart greater love and hospitality and charity towards all those around me and speak the words of God with hope so that when I speak and when I serve and whatever I'm doing, it's going to bring glory to God through Jesus. See, the, the world doesn't need Christians who know they have a resurrection hope and keep it a secret. They don't need Christians that have a resurrection hope and use it like a battering ram. They need Christians who have a resurrection hope and speak it as if God himself was speaking and serve with God's strength to make God glorified through rich and meaningful interpersonal interaction. In the last few weeks, we've been talking about a few ways this could happen. Let me share a few more with us this morning. If you have this worksheet from two weeks ago, you can finish filling it out. And if not, take notes on anything that you've got and you can go back and listen to the last two messages and fill these in. But we've been working on a path together. A kind of a mountain bike path as we've stylized it, starting with what are some initial things that we may have opportunity to do at any given moment with someone that we meet, taking a conversation deeper and listening to them, sharing a testimony. But last week we talked about the first three switchbacks on this path. Today I want to give you numbers four, five, and six. And I have to do this briefly and kind of rush through it, so uh, we're going to look for opportunities as a public faith team to have some conversations as a church this year where we go deeper into these. And let me say about this one, the fourth one, the fifth one, and the sixth one, that these may need some participation from the church as a whole, from elders, ministers, and groups that are putting together programs. Because sometimes it is hard as an individual Christian to figure out, how do I do this one? Christianity presented. You may realize at a point in a relationship with a friend who doesn't believe in Jesus that they are eager and they're ready to hear a presentation of what this faith really is. And you're not just discussing a single podcast now or something, but they're really getting the full dose. And so you may take them or sit with them at a place where there's a question and response time with a Christian presenter or minister. Here's one example of how this church might be able to participate as a whole to make that possible. Some congregations will have on Sunday mornings a time, a classroom set aside, where a couple ministers, a couple elders, and a couple people like from a public faith team can receive newcomers and guests after the sermon for coffee and so that they can ask some questions about what they didn't understand or challenges that they have against the worldview that was presented in the sermons. In other words, it's an open environment class that's specifically set aside to invite people to hear Christianity presented. We might be able to do that as a congregation with just a little bit of effort, a few volunteers to help host and put it together, and some of us in the leadership participating in it. Another example is the old format of Veritas lectures. Last week I told you to go Google the Veritas forum and look for their new format of lectures in which a Christian and a non-Christian philosopher will debate some of the points of the faith and present those worldviews. So you get an even floor. The old format of lectures was a Christian standing there just presenting the Christian worldview. Those are still available online and you probably have access through YouTube or other videos to presentations that are solely from a Christian viewpoint. And from time to time, even in the past, we did things like gospel meetings, uh, but you could even call preaching in the church this. Christianity presented. Christianity presented means coming in and hearing a presentation of the gospel. The fifth switchback is called Christianity in process. Christianity in process. 
This is the opportunity to take someone to a group meeting. So you've got people sitting in a circle instead of rows, not just listening passively now, but engaging and acting. It's an evangelistic group, but not necessarily a worship group. It's designed specifically for seeking and questioning. Again, a little bit of an overlap with the idea of hosting a reception, having people come and sit and ask their questions, but you could do this in your home. So I have a friend who lives in the northeast of the U.S. who is a Christian minister, but for about the last 50 years hasn't been preaching actively in a church like he used to. Instead, he goes around and he meets people and he invites them to come to his house for a, a dinner and for meaningful conversation. And he always kicks these conversations off with an insightful question about the meanings of life and death and all that kind of stuff just to let people talk and share about what they think and what they feel. And they do a lot of listening. But this is Christianity in process. He's evangelistic. He's got people in a circle looking at each other eye to eye. It would take some planning. It might take further conversations as a church. I wouldn't expect that most of us would be able to just go out there today and just make this happen. But to talk about it as a church and to come up with ways. And the last one is this. Christian worship for seekers. Now what we do is Christian worship right here and right now, and anybody is always welcome to come in. But remember, what we're trying to do is open up a world of possibilities between step one as they've never been in church and step two as they come to Sunday morning church. What are all these other things that might be between there? And Christian worship for seekers could definitely take place in your home. This is where you could host a special kind of small group, regular service outside of the church or whatever, in which people come in and it's carefully inclusive of those who are seeking and questioning because you're going to take time to talk about what you do and the significance and how it relates to the scriptures and how it relates to the Christian worldview. There's going to be room for dialogue and room for questions, but it is worship. There will be songs sung, scriptures read, prayers prayed. Instead of just being a presentation format, it's a worship format. Inviting people to come into the worship of Jesus Christ, the risen King of the universe, so that they can experience what he has to offer. Now, all of these things that we've shared the last three weeks, these ideas, they're just ideas. What the world needs is Christians who are creatively praying, loving, showing hospitality, using their gifts to speak and serve. In every little opportunity, the nooks and the crannies, the way water works itself down through every seam in the surface. And when it freezes, it expands. And when it thaws, it flows out again. And it causes the soil to break up and be good for planting and for new life to come. The world needs Christians who are in every little workplace, every environment, every conversation, every little crack and crevice in our society, expanding on the hope of Jesus Christ and flowing in the Holy Spirit's power and moving to break down some of the barriers and the philosophy of this world, to capture thoughts for Christ, to do what Paul says we do, according to 1 Corinthians 15. And I want to read a few verses today that have purposefully, I'm going to read them to you so you can hear them audibly, and I just want you to think through them. But 1 Corinthians 15 in your Bibles, you can mark it, you can write it down, you can read it later. When Paul says that nothing we, we do in the Lord is ever in vain because we got a hope in a future, he's literally throwing everything in on the hope of the resurrection. He's cashed out his bank. He's taken all his savings. 
He's thrown away all his extra food stores on this one hope, bet it all on the hope that Jesus is raised from the dead. Listen to his words. He says, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. Remember, the gospel is the work of Jesus and his person. He said, I preached to you, you received, and once you've taken your stand. By this gospel, you're saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise your faith is in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And listen to this line. And that he first appeared to Peter. The same Peter whose letter we've been reading for three weeks now. The same Peter who in the face of suffering and a hopeless world says, let's revere Christ in our hearts and that will give us the resource through the gospel to show greater love and humility and hospitality and charity to people. Let's throw everything in on that. Peter, according to Paul here, is the first one Jesus appeared to. You know what's funny is we don't have a good record of that. We don't know what was said there. But we know that it so transformed Peter's heart. He saw the resurrected Lord that he threw all his hope on him. In verse 19, it's an important and beautiful but haunting verse, Paul wrote this. He said, but if there's no resurrection, as some people were claiming there's no resurrection, there's no hope in that, let's live for today, he said then, those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost, and if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we're to be pitied more than all men. He says, if only in this life we have hope. Jesus transforms our today. He helps me move past my sin. He helps me move past my brokenness. He helps me live a happy life. He gives me some joy for today. If that's all we have, we're to be more pitied than all of humanity. Because we, Peter said, have thrown everything. We, Paul said, have thrown everything on the hope of the resurrection of Jesus. And in a week leading into the world thinking about the resurrection, I want to ask you, God's church, is it true for you? Is is the hope for you that can sustain you through anything, the hope that can survive anything, is it the resurrection of Jesus? Because if there's a little part of our hearts where we're still holding on to the hope of our savings, the hope of our government, the hope of our economy, the hope of our jobs, if we're still really at the end of the day We think about how the world's falling apart and we think, but at least I'm a good person, right? If those are the things we're throwing our hope on, do not throw your hope away in vain. All of those can be stripped from you. You can fall into sin again. Your money could dry up and evaporate. The the things that you've saved, the things that you've planned, the things that you've bought for the future, they can be gone. But this won't be taken from you. This hope of Jesus Christ won't be taken from you. That whatever pleasures God allows you to have now or that he does not allow, you have the resurrection of Jesus Christ to look to. Let's throw everything on it. Amen, church? Let's throw everything on it. Let's stand this morning and sing this final song and worship the risen King of the universe. Oh, not by God's wondrous grace to me, he hath made no